0: You are listening to Optimizing with me, Professor Barry Dwilewski.
1: And me, Karen Gammy. In this episode, we're going to be wrapping up our conversation on how you became the Grand Geek and also how that uniquely positioned you to guide the conversation around leading digital Africa. So, at the end of the last episode, you were telling us in very humble ways how you were just the most badass person in the tech sphere, Um, but basically, how you were coming back to South Africa after being in exile in the UK for like 10 years. Um, run me through a little bit about like, what you did during the early days being back in South Africa.
0: So after 10 years in the UK, as I s- uh, said in the previous episode, I returned to Wits University in July 1989. And I came back as a senior lecturer in the Department of Electrical Engineering. In the first year when I returned to Wits I taught uh, digital electronics and microprocessor engineering. And then in 1991, I was given the responsibility for teaching programming to all second year mechanical, civil and electrical engineers. It was such fun. At that time, almost everyone had been learning programming at WITS and at many other uh, universities around the world using a style of software decomposition called functional or procedural design. But engineering students have been learning the language Pascal as their first programming language for many years. When I took over teaching the course, I decided to drop functional programming and Pascal and introduce the exciting new approach to software decomposition, which I'd been working with in the UK called Object Oriented Programming, OOP, and Object Oriented Design, OOD. So I introduced the then new OOP language, C++, and I started running an object oriented design course for professional programmers working in industry. Um, anyone working in software development today, like you and your colleagues, will know that using OO has become the dominant paradigm. But in the early 1990s, most people brought up in the functional world passionately resisted the adoption of OO. I guess that I can claim to have played a key role in bringing OO to South Africa and to the South African software industry in the early 1990s.
1: This is such a mic drop moment. That is incredible. Oh my gosh. Yeah, like as you're saying, uh, object-oriented programming is the absolute bedrock of like programming today. And it's just so cool that you were involved in both spheres of this. Um, okay, give me kind of a flavor for what kind of work you were doing outside of the university.
0: So apart from my teaching, my major activity that I was involved in Um, in the 1990s, focused around mass electrification. Um, As I discussed in the last episode, bringing electricity to the homes of millions of black South Africans became one of the great development success stories of post-apartheid South Africa. In this time that we're all grumbling about Eskom, people should realise that it led one of the great successes in changing South Africa after the end of apartheid. And when I returned to South Africa in 1989, um, Eskom was in the process of launching a massive electrification program between 1990 and 2000. The overall electrification rate in South Africa grew from 35% to 71%. Um, In that period, in that decade, over two and a half million homes were connected to the national grid. And at its peak, the electrification program was connecting more than a thousand houses a day. So soon after returning to WITS in 89, I started working with a colleague in the Department of Electrical Engineering, the now late Alan Mayer. Um, So, he, Alan, was an expert in power systems and he suggested that him and I join forces to develop software tools to support the National Electrification Drive. In 1992, both Alan and I were invited by the recently unbanned ANC to become participants in a multi-stakeholder initiative called NALF, the National Electrification Forum, and participating at NALF helped me to understand the many practical problems associated with ESKIM's ambitious um, electrification rollout. In the next 10 years, uh, both Ellen and I led a large research and development project focused on creating software to support this Eskom electrification program.
1: All right, so again, like it seems like you were doing some incredibly intensive and theoretical work very much behind the scenes and behind the screens almost, but it obviously had incredible like real world effects on people's well-being and people's lives. Um, can you tell me a little bit more about that?
0: So this work really came together for me and I can uh, remember the moment in June 1998 when I attended a ceremony in a remote, dusty township in Limpopo province, north of Pretoria. There were dignitaries from the local and provincial government, and they had all gathered in a raggedy marquee tent, close to the primary school in this uh, small town, this township and there were a number of ESCOM managers and local ESCOM staff were there and I was standing with my colleague Eric who's a consulting engineer and I'd been working with him in developing my software. Uh, The VIPs were all in um, seats under the tent and most of the rest of the residents of the township, more than a thousand people, stood patiently in the sun as the VIPs took turns making long, boring speeches. Uh, There was the smell of roasting meat that filled the air, and at last the speeches ended, and a group of VIPs accompanied by Eric and me walked over to a nearby house. And the proud owner of the house, who was an elderly woman, dressed in her Sunday best and surrounded by several children, um, escorted us into a kitchen, and although it was midday, I can remember the room as being very dark. And on the kitchen table, there was a brand new electric kettle and a two element stove. And one of the ESCIM technicians switched a, a switch on the distribution board, the brand new distribution board, next to a prepaid meter near the front door and suddenly the room was transformed by bright electric light hanging from the ceiling. Uh, One of the VIPs plugged the kettle in and soon water started to boil. And I heard from outside the house this great cheer and spine-chilling ululation uh, filling the air, and it was party time. All the houses, the school and other buildings in this remote little township now had electricity. And um, apartheid's gap between black and white had just become a bit smaller. And what excited me most was that my software called CART, which stood for Computer Aided Reticulation of Township, had been used for the first time to design the network that connected this township to the national grid. Um, I'm sure anyone who has written a useful piece of software will know that it's really hard to describe the sense of achievement that one gets when something you've created brings tangible benefits to real life. I don't know if you've experienced that in your work.
1: Probably not to the same degree as you have, but yeah, there are those few moments. Um, One thing I can't get over is just like how prolific this moment must have been for you. Like it's just so picturesque. I feel like I can... Hear it! I can see it! I can smell this meat. Like it's just like, wow! What a moment! That is incredible. Um, okay, so I don't know a whole lot about cot. Um, so what? What is it? What did it actually do? How did it work?
0: So uh, first, let me explain how Eskom achieved this impressive um, electrification rollout. It uh, did so by adopting a divide and conquer strategy. They set um, annual targets for electrification for each region of the country. And in each region, a number of townships and villages were, were uh, selected to be connected in that year. In each um, township and village that this would happen, they defined a project, and each of these projects was assigned to a local consulting engineering company. Uh, A small consultant like my friend Eric was assigned a few projects each year and large consulting firms took on tens of projects annually. And what the consultant and his technical team were responsible for doing was to develop a detailed design for the low voltage network that would bring power from the medium voltage transformer that hung off the Eskom grid and brought electricity into the actual town. And uh, and then each home, school, shop and other important buildings were connected via this low voltage network. Um, And what the consultant then had to do was oversee the construction of the network and ensure that it met very rigorous technical and construction standards that had been set out by ESCOM. So, ESCOM's role was really funding and quality control. And the actual design of the systems and the construction was under the control of a whole number of these consulting engineers. And uh, the consultant had to meet a uh, target cost for the project, and the cost per connection was very strictly monitored by ISCOM who actually brought down the cost year on year and put more pressure on the consultants to deliver high quality um, connections as cheaply as possible. So before CART was produced the methodology that was used by the consultants to design each project was extremely inefficient and labour intensive. There's a great deal of drawing and measuring on paper maps with pencils and erasers uh, calculations to determine how big the cable should be and what voltages would um, would be delivered at the person's house was uh, done by entering hundreds of numbers manually into spreadsheets it literally took weeks and weeks to develop a system
1: I think you are painting the picture for one of my worst nightmares. That sounds awful. <laughs> um, it was. <laughs> so how exactly did CART make this process more efficient and more attainable?
0: So uh, CART is a computer-aided design system or CAD system. It uh, displays, if you picture a screen, and what CART did is it displayed a map of the township on the screen and the map showed the location of all the buildings, the houses, the schools, the shops and all the roads. Uh, There were sub-programs within CART that allowed the designer to graphically input the routes of cables and the position of all the transformers by clicking his mouse on the screen Um, and, and then all the tedious tasks were done by the computer. What CART did was to automate and digitise the design steps. It led to designs being done significantly quicker and better. It also allowed the designer to optimise the design and reduce the overall cost of the project. CART made a hugely positive contribution to mass electrification and actually saved Esker millions of rand. Um, I wrote most of CART myself. I took a sabbatical and I worked on this, uh, on writing uh, CART in 1997. It was implemented in a commercial system called MicroStation, which is a CAD platform, and it was written in a language called MDL, which is MicroStation's proprietary uh, development language and then a lot of C++. Um, I spent most of of the year working on CART. Between 1992 and 2004 a large number of PhD and MSc students supervised by both Alan and myself uh, developed techniques and algorithms that were incorporated in various ways into CART to make it more powerful So we used pattern recognition, automatic routing algorithms to find the shortest route. And we also used optimization to find the cheapest combination of cables. And then what CART did was produce detailed construction drawings that were then used by the contractors who built the system and a complete bill of materials that let them buy the right materials and bring it to site. Um, in order to get caught out into the world, me and Alan um, decided to spin it off as a startup. Uh, we set up a small company called TerraSoft. Uh, this was my second foray into the world of entrepreneurship. Uh, you might remember in the first episode of this podcast, I spoke about work I did at UMIS to sell software, which hadn't been successful, but... Uh, TerraSoft was a success. One of my master's students, Raj Rajakanthan, joined uh, TerraSoft as a shareholder and worked full-time in supporting the product and in growing the user community. He also did a lot of further development on the system. Although it never made big profits, TerraSoft became a sustainable commercial entity and it allowed us to put cart to work with tens of consultants all over South Africa and in some of the neighboring countries. Uh, Many hundreds of electrification projects uh, bringing electricity to the homes of hundreds of thousands or even millions of people have been designed using CART over the past 20 years. CART is still in use today, being used by consultants doing electrification design.
1: Okay, so that was an excellent story. I'm so happy to have learned some of the history of ESCOM. Um, and so, beyond CART, kind of what were, you, what were you thinking about during this period?
0: In the late 1990s, while I was working on CART, I became very interested in South Africa's ICT industry. Until then, I'd mainly focused on the nuts and bolts of technology and on research and development projects that my students and I were involved in. Uh, but then I became very interested in where the students I taught landed up after leaving university. So, and I turned my attention to finding ways to support South Africa's and Africa's ICT sector. Not many people know this, but South Africa was one of the first countries in the world to start using computers. More than 60 years ago, an organization was established in South Africa to represent computer professionals. It was called the Computer Society of South Africa and it was launched in 1957, a few months after the British Computer Society became the first such organization in the world. The Computer Society of South Africa still exists, but it's now called the Institute of IT Professionals of South Africa, or the IITPSA. And South Africa notched up many world firsts in the use of computers in in areas such as banking, government administration, and mining. A sad fact about computing in South Africa is that our notorious past laws which were the centerpiece of apartheid, was underpinned administratively by very early computer applications that then ran on mainframes. Many South African computer scientists and software experts left South Africa from the 1960s and and onwards and continue to make a huge impact on the IT industry around the world People like Seymour Papad, who invented the teaching language logo. Mark Shuttleworth, who's responsible for um, cyber security applications. And the famous Elon Musk, uh, who started off at PayPal. And thousands of others can be found. And these are all South Africans making it in the world around applying computer skills.
1: Yeah, that is a really big thing, and and I guess yeah, it's it's important to kind of recognise sort of like the impact that that the apartheid government had on the tech sphere, and obviously there were sanctions and there were bans and there were limitations to to sort of different sectors and industries, and obviously computing and IT was not exempt from any of that. So in your view, how how do you think this affected the local industry?
0: So quite interesting, from the mid 1970s until 1994. Many international IT companies applied sanctions on South Africa. For example, IBM withdrew from South Africa, from their South African operations, in response to huge pressure from their African-American workers and public opinion in the United States. A company like Apple refused to allow their computers to be sold in South Africa until after 1994. And in fact, ironically, because of sanctions, this time became a golden age for South Africa's IT industry. Um, to just say a bit more why that was the case, what do computer people like best? Can I ask you, what, what's your best thing about programming? You love to... You just make stuff. Yeah, you love to baby. make stuff. So with <laughs> sanctions, it meant South African IT people were given a green light and a lot of money to make stuff because it couldn't be bought locally. So the banks and everyone went out and developed their own systems and created a lot of jobs and a lot of space for creative people to go into IT. And it's uh, that kind of wild west where people ignored copyright and were happy to reverse engineer pieces of software that turned into a golden age for South African IT. So South Africa became known around the world as being hugely innovative because people were solving problems and and not worrying too much about whose toes they stood on. And there was a lot of money because the major expenditure on software was for the military and the South African military and intelligence community, Arms Corps and Denel and Altec, were all pouring a lot of money into military IT, and South African software people got an opportunity to spend a lot of money on developing software solutions. Um, it's in fact interesting because uh, where you apply sanctions, you're really freeing up uh, local creativity. Um, interestingly, and I'll talk about this later, is that the moment 94 came and we were a free and independent country and uh, sanctions were lifted, what happened is all the companies that had stayed away came rushing in. So back came IBM, back came Apple, and then other companies like Indian companies came in to uh, work in South Africa. And that in 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 a way uh put a, a a a damper on creativity and innovation in the it industry so there are pros and cons and i'll speak about that in my, in the uh, next episode when i talk about software engineering and how that um kind of grew after 94 and how i got involved in that
1: This is super interesting. I think my understanding of sanctions is kind of only ever related to like the retail space and it's interesting the way in which you painted it's that like, I mean, these were hectic things that were happening, but also like naturally, maybe unnaturally created the space of like creativity for like local IT practitioners and coders to create what they wanted to see in the world. And I think that's, that's incredible. That is huge. Thanks for listening, folks. This episode was produced by Barry Dwilatsky, featuring me, Karen Gammy. It was edited by Evan McDorowitz, music and sound design by Callum Cool, and Joshua Clark Mixed the Episode.